Hello, Donna. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, and thank you so much, Shane, for having me here. It's a pleasure to be with you and Underground Antics. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation today. You're a, a really interesting and impressive person. I mean, you're a professional speaker, a best-selling author, healer, coach. I mean, you know, the list goes on. But I think the, the sort of title that intrigues me most is the mind whisperer, right? Yeah. Um, now, what exactly does that mean to you? Okay. Well, how the name came was that someone had asked me, just like you, what do you do for a living? And I described what I do. And they went, well, I don't know what you just said, but you're like a mind whisperer. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at them and they said, well, like a dog whisperer and a horse whisperer, but you're like working on people in their brains. So that's like a mind whisperer. Right. And the media heard that and they've picked it up. It's been there ever since. And that's why today I'm known as a mind whisperer. So what is that really? Well, our subconscious records everything from the moment we're born to the moment we exit this earth, everything as a literal event. And what it's doing is it's assigning emotions and feelings to those events moment by moment. Now, our awareness level is that it's only 10% that we realize of the feelings and emotions that get stuck to the events. And that's where the problem lies, is, is that we only have 10% awareness. And we know the awareness level is 10% because Albert Einstein's uh, brain was measured and scientists said it was 10%. So the other 90%, we don't know those feelings and emotions that we're sending out, that are sending out energy signals like a radio transmitter and receiver to come back to us, the very things we're asking for. Well, what happens in that process is we're sending out the wrong signal. We send out the frequencies of frustration or depression or anxiety or shame or guilt instead of the signal that is needed to attract back to us what we're asking for, like abundance, prosperity, happiness, kindness, generosity. So what I do and what I had the ability to do when I work with people is find what energy, what emotion got stuck and what event it got associated to. And then we uncover what was needed for that person. And then that energy inside the person's brain shifts and creates a new paradigm, a new chemical balance. So that's why it's called mind whispering, because what we're doing is we're changing vibration and frequency in the moment, unsticking the old emotion that got stuck to the event and giving us a new emotion mm -hmm. to the event to operate, to live by. Hmm. And that's exactly what Nikola Tesla meant when he said, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, vibration, and frequency. Yeah, I love that quote. It's a really great one. But so, okay, so wait, so let's start there, right? So when you say that um, an emotion gets stuck to an event, uh, yeah. what does that mean? So like, you know, I guess, you know, very often it's childhood, but it doesn't have to be where you'll go through something or something will happen to you and you'll interpret that event in a particular way. And then I guess something along the way gets stuck so that you don't process it fully, right? And I guess the sort of um, colloquial word for that these days is like trauma or something like that. Um, right. So, yeah, how does it get stuck? So in every moment, every possibility always exists. 
what happens in the subconscious is when you have an emotion and a feeling and it gets associated with that event, it keeps repeating that emotion or feeling like a mind loop tape. It's like an automated response system. So say for example, you wanna have more abundance, you wanna have more prosperity, but everything you do just you feel frustrated about because you don't get more abundance, you don't get more prosperity, and it's just frustration. Mm-hmm. Well, that frustration created, it came from a pattern, so we can uncover where it was located in the body, and then when we go back to an original event of when was the first time you felt that frustration, you're going to go, usually most people go back to childhood, well, the very first time I ever felt frustrated, I was nine. Well, we can uncover what happened at age nine. And in this particular example, it was a live example in a presentation that I was doing on a tour in Connecticut, and his parents got divorced, and he was in the middle, and the more got divided up, both families were comfortable, but they didn't have the extra, and he was put in the middle, so he had all this frustration. So frustration was an automated response system of subconsciously not having the more, not having the comfortableness, which is why he had frustration 25 years later when he was trying to create more. So when we found out what he needed, it was a sense of accomplishment and pride. And then when that energy came in, in the moment, he looked back at that event and saw that he was happy and he was riding his bicycle down the street. He wasn't in that frustrative energy anymore. Well, he created the more. It's been two years and the frustration was gone. So that's what I mean is, is that it gets... The emotion gets stuck. It only repeats the one that you remember. And and it's usually the lower vibration. Right. Of, and it creates it as a pattern. So, but we have the ability to go in and change that. Right. So it, it gets stuck in, in the sense of like you haven't processed it properly or something. Because like, you know, why would you, why would some things get stuck and not others, right? And that's that 10% of awareness and that consciousness as well. We're only going to remember about 10%. And mm-hmm. that was if you're Einstein. So we're probably closer to like 8%, maybe 9% um, to what we actually remember because we don't remember how we feel every single moment of every single day. We just we have the capacity to do it. We just don't have the awareness to be that much in tune to how we feel all the time. Mm. That makes sense, right? And, and I guess that you know, certain events will have much greater of an impact. And if right. we can't process it for whatever reason, then it gets stuck and we get stuck on a loop of trying to process it, but then we don't allow ourselves to do it, right? Because um, right. we don't want to feel those feelings again. So we kind of just shut right. all that shit down and keep it there. Yes, and we don't know to process it. Mm-hmm. In, you know, when you're you know, eight or nine, you don't know that you need to sit down and process that your, you know, your parents got divorced. It's not part of the paradigm. You just kind of go along with it because what other choices do you have? Right. And then, you know, I guess if you accumulate a bunch of these experiences over time, then things start to get a bit rough in the subconscious and, you know, your conscious life feels very unstable or um, depressed or anxious or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, you don't know what to do about it because you're not even really sure why it's happening, 
Right. Right. Exactly. We just know that in the moment we're asking for something, we're wanting to have something a little bit different. This is what the law of attraction is all about. Your thoughts create your reality. But then when that reality doesn't return, it's because there's an energy or a fuel behind the thought that is propelling it forward into motion. And if that's not in alignment with what you are asking for, you're only going to get back the emotion and feeling of that energy signal that you are sending out, not what you're asking for. So you can say, I want to create more money and yet feel frustrated. Well, frustration is in that 90% in that subconscious. So the universe is going to return to you frustration, not more money Mm -hmm. until you feel what more money feels like. And then that is the energy that propels the thought more money into motion. And then you get results 100% of the time. But so how would one go about then making that transition? I mean, I know this is the, the work that you do, right? Like it often takes a lot of um, sessions and coachings and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, just from a more like general perspective, like what is the process by which someone, let's say someone, you know, using this example, they're like, okay, well, I want to make more money or have more abundance or prosperity in life, but I can recognize that I just end up with frustration, right? And so how do, where do you go from there? Right. If you want a tip of something that you can utilize for yourself without going through what the whole session work would be, is I would take out a piece of paper and I would write down your goal at the top. And then I would write down exactly how you feel if you did not achieve it. And then I would write down on the, on the other side of the paper how you would feel if you did achieve it. And then there's some conscious work that you can do. And you can sit there and you can do like a breathing exercise. It's about feeling the higher energy, the higher frequency to bring your goal into existence because how you feel by not achieving it is probably what's stopping and what's blocking you from having it. There's a lot of different things that you can do consciously, which is saying affirmations, uh, repeating how you feel with the positive aspect of it. But all of that is going to take more time. It's going to take more energy. It's going to take focus. It's going to take clarity. Um, It's going to take consistency to do that from a conscious point of view. Now, our consciousness is only 10%, and that 10% is trying to override the 90%. Mm. So the faster way, of course, would be to go through and utilize session work, um, do some of the programs, to learn how to make those internal changes because it's through various techniques and meditation that you do do that, and then you can have the results faster, more instantaneous, and that we're working with the 90% in the subconscious, which is much stronger than the 10% that we're consciously aware of. Right. That makes sense, right? And so, you know, when you're writing out your list of goals um, and how you would, I mean, your goal and, and how you would feel if you got it and if you didn't get it, are you trying to identify like how you want to feel or how you think you would feel if that would happen or how you have felt you know, say in the past when you haven't attained goals. Right. You're writing down two things. In the past, you're writing down how you felt by not having the goals. 
I was frustration. Um, I had anger. I was upset. I was depressed. Um, I had anxiety. I couldn't move forward. So you write down how it felt by not doing it or not achieving it. And then you're writing down how you believe you would feel if I achieved and had this goal and I made it, how then would it truly feel? And you would have to stop and ask yourself, not just how you believe you would feel, but how would it truly feel if you reached your goal? And those might be two different sensations. Right, because like oftentimes, I guess, you know, when you're aiming for something, you know, it's kind of like Mm -hmm. a means to an end, right? Like you want it for Mm -hmm. a particular purpose rather than because you want to just fulfill the goal, right? So there's a distinction I I guess you could make between like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I want to have money because I want that feeling of security, Right. Right. As opposed to mm-hmm. like, well, I, I want to be, I mean, I guess you could take it a step further and, and you, you say, well, I want the sense of security because I want to be happy or I want to feel peaceful mm-hmm. um, or right. be able to connect, you know, or, or live a more fulfilled life. And so, you know, the money's the sort of step to get there. Um, yeah. And knowing the difference between how you believe you would feel and how you would truly feel. One question would be, you mentioned the word happiness. Mm -hmm. Well, if you achieved your goal, how would you feel? Well, I'd feel happy. Okay, so what does happiness feel like to you? Mm -hmm. Because to me, happiness might feel different. So how does that happiness feel to you? If you had to describe happiness to another person, and that's where you get into how you would truly feel versus how you believe you would feel. You would believe you would feel happy, but when you describe the happiness, it's going to be described a little bit different and you're going to use different words and you're going to actually feel it. And when you start feeling the emotion, that is where a chemical flush comes over the body to make that internal change. You actually have to feel it. So you can't just say the words, I'm going to be happy and joyful, or I'm going to feel better, or no, it feels good. Okay, you really got to get in touch with that emotional part because that's that piece that will override in the synapse between the two neurons in the brain to create a new chemical balance, a new hormone, the new feeling sensation. And then it will flush through the body in a matter of moment when that feeling comes in every single time. Right. So that makes sense, right? So it's like you're basically putting yourself in that situation to experience Mm -hmm. what it would feel like. Um, and you know, you're then conditioning your mind to know what that experience is and to start like seeking that out, right? It, it kind of, you can then move forward, but I, I guess, you know, it can be really challenging to do, particularly if you're not in a, you know, for lack of a better word, like in a good headspace or your mood's not great or whatever, then you're going to be like, well, why am I just pretending like I'm doing something when in reality it sucks? But that's really just an interpretation, right? Right. And the other side of the coin to that is that you may not be able to objectively see everything associated with the event, with the feelings of it, because we're in it when we re-experience something that we don't want. And it's really hard to uncover what it was that you do want. Oftentimes when I work with clients and I ask them questions of, well, what would be you know the benefit or the gift of this? And they tell me everything they wouldn't have. Well, I wouldn't feel stressful and I wouldn't be worried and I wouldn't, but they say it in a negative way. So you even have to be 
conscious of the words, it's like, well, what's the benefit of not being stressed? Or what's the gift of not having the stress? And we have to phrase it positively because of how our brain needs to be rewired. Mm. And so oftentimes when you're doing the work, to even utilize it on yourself, you have to be very careful and very cautious. And you might not objectively see and how to rephrase it, even positively from the negative because we're in it, we're in the box where working with someone like me, we're looking from the outside perspective in, we can see energetically and then show and demonstrate and you know help people transform that energy because we're not caught up in the details or caught up in the energy and we can say exactly what it is and get it confirmed with the client and then it can shift and change in them. Right, yeah, I mean, it certainly you know, I would assume is, is quite obvious to people that it, it's easier to see the problems in other people than it is to see in yourself. Mm-hmm. Or pr- maybe problems is a bit of a tricky word, but, you know, behavior patterns or ways of being, you can easily see in other people, but they can't see it in themselves. I mean, you can see it like in, you know, I, I mean, I don't know why this example has come up, but it's like people who are in abusive relationships it's, you know, all of their friends and family will be like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, this mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Um, and they're, and But from their perspective, they just don't see it that way. Um, right. and, and they have all, all the reasons and, you know, interpretations and feelings associated with it that force them to see the reality just how they see it. And they can't mm-hmm. take that step out. Well, not they can't, but they haven't taken that step out for whatever reason and then and then you know hopefully when they do then they can you know take steps to you know improve it or or get rid of it or do something um to change right but you do need to have that awareness from somewhat of a third party even if it's yourself you can third party aware be aware of of your situation but it is difficult to do because um when you're in it you're in it and that's all you can see right? And the rest just feels like speculation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of like, um, you know, th- so th- there's obviously, you know, in, in your work, you, f- you have a strong focus on the, the connection between emotion and money, let's say, or emotion yes. and, um, you know, goal achievement or something like that. And that comes back to what we've been discussing, right? Is it's that, that emotional center, so to speak, has to be in alignment with whatever it is that you're trying to achieve in order to yeah. get to it, right? But there's a lot of these black blockages along the way. Um, right. And mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Oh, and some of it we're just simply not aware of. Mm-hmm. I was a f- um, financial advisor and a managing principal of an investment firm, and that was the first career I did. I was there for a decade. And at the end, I traded my health for it, my relationships. Um, even I even became financially devastated myself during the global recession. And that's what prompted me to be on this path. And working as a healer, the last several years, I started seeing some commonalities between what my clients were saying and my career as a financial advisor. And what clients were saying when we were getting to the heart of issues, they were saying things like, I want to know that I'm worthy or that I was enough or I, 
I am valued and appreciated. I didn't have, no one listened to me when I was little. And in the financial world, we use those exact same words. Hmm. Here is your net worth. Your portfolio value is. Your assets appreciated. Oh, and do you have enough money to fund XYZ goal? And if you didn't feel like you were enough on the inside, you didn't have enough on the outside to fund the goal. So there's a direct correlation to how we are intricately tied to the energy being of ourselves and the energy of money because we are energy beings in dense form and money is an outward energy expression that we use Mm. for energy exchanges Mm -hmm. and how you think and feel about yourself is exactly what and how you think and feel about money right and it all goes back to how you were raised how you were born what you were taught energetically what's in the dna all of these other pieces that come into it it's it's all tied together and that's what prompted me to write the book financially fit which is an international bestseller today because of that connection that i realized with who we are and with money and how the world works right and it's a real deep connection right and it it's almost an inset well i guess it is inseparable because uh it's all your it's all happening inside of you anyway, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you can take two people in similar situations who have, let's say, similar financial situations, and they will have completely different views and thoughts and feelings about it, right? Like mm-hmm. for one person, um, it might they might see themselves as, you know, doing very well and, you know, very prosperous, and they're quite happy with the situation. And then for another... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not enough or there's tremendous fear of it going away or, uh, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, well, but you're kind of in this same situation, but the way you're seeing it and interpreting it is vastly different, right? Mm-hmm. And so I guess the, the step that, you, you know, you talk about in the book is that in order to, you know, reach that place, the real work is the work on yourself, more than it is yeah. how to manage your finances better. I mean, although that is important, obviously, and, and there's lots of skills and things like that involved in doing so, um, it's not going to matter if you don't see it that way. And if you don't do the self-inquiry, then, you know, whatever happens in your financial status, is it's sort of, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, just up in the air. It's not really going to hit home. Absolutely. Because all the things that we do, that's in our conscious awareness. Uh, Goal set here, budget over here, pay off this debt, invest over here. Those are action steps. Mm -hmm. And that's the doing side, which is 10% of our reality. It's our conscious awareness. It's how you feel about that. That's in that other 90% that is actually returning to you. So if you hesitate in paying your bills or you're procrastinating or you're avoiding, then that's the energy that is going out and you're going to be avoided bringing in your own abundance or receiving more money to come in because you avoided making the payments. So it always goes back to that state of beingness and how you feel on the inside every single time. Right. And um, would you say that this is something that like most people struggle with? Um, I mean, I know, you know, you, you probably come from a select group of like seeing people who are obviously struggling with it. But 
I mean, you know, this isn't something that's really taught widespread or known widespread, as is with a lot of things. But, um, you know, it, it is certainly something that I think everyone would connect with at some level, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe not everyone. Absolutely. What is really interesting is, is that in schools, they don't really teach about money and there's not money education. And they don't even teach you, parents don't usually communicate about here's how to write out a check, here's how to manage your credit cards, here's how to, and so there's not really this educational piece. So then we grow up, we're expected to be productive and go out into the workforce and make money, and but no one taught us how. And then no one addressed really about the energy about how we felt about it. A lot of people I've learned their parents or even some of them got encoded with that money was an embarrassment and it was shameful and it was a secret and we shouldn't talk about it because there was a lack of money and there wasn't abundance because people were in survival mode. And so a lot of that got passed down through the DNA and a lot of people still operate from that perspective, but yet they're trying to go out and be productive people, productive citizens, earn a wage, earn an income and make ends meet. And they can't quite figure it out. It's because some of that, it's a secret. We don't talk about it. So then, of course, we're not going to educate about it. And we're not going to do all these other things. So part of it can be cultural. And it doesn't matter what country you live in. I have seen this around in all the countries with an international practice and the different mindsets around it. Right. And yeah, that's an interesting point, right, is is that there is certainly a cultural component to it. but on a more micro level, it would be your parents, I guess, and, and the school mm-hmm. systems about, you know, what you learn and uh, how what's taught to you. And then, you know, back to what we were saying about, like, well, your experiences with things. And that all comes together to fruition to, you know, create all these problems or difficulties, rather, that you'll have dealing with it. And it is because it's like, I mean, you know, not to be super critical but it the sort of school systems at least the one that i went to it's like you get taught a whole bunch of like knowledge about stuff but you very rarely get taught any real life lessons right mm-hmm. like and you know from the financial perspective it's like well you know how does tax work how does banking work how do loans work how do you know mortgages work you know like not even just like what it is that's the first step but it's like well how do you know how to do anything about it, right? And insurance and um, all these kinds of things that are just like not taught. And, you know, I, it's not that I would say the, sc- the school system, the school system <laughs> is at fault or anything like that. You know, from my perspective, at least, it's like, well, they don't necessarily know either, right? Like it, it, it's that widespread that it's, it's not that it's being withheld. It's just that, but no one's involved in it, or very few people rather. And so it's not gonna come through the system because you know the teachers are also struggling with it. And so that's not what they're you know, teaching about it and embodying and, and displaying as an example, right? So it, right. it is more of a like grassroots needed change in order to really start affecting like systemic changes in this matter. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely there. Yes. Yeah. No, it is. And I mean, it, it is complicated, you know, like there is a lot of, you know, stigma associated with money and, you know, mm-hmm. there's 
cult, like various cultures in in like the business world of like you're not supposed to discuss yeah. salaries and you're not supposed to do this and you know it's it's all like hush hush kind of stuff and i guess you know is that the i mean some element of it is just learned and conditioned and so people just perpetuate it when they get into those positions but um you know th there's certainly an uh, an element of like guilt and shame i guess where people who are like well i don't know how to do it so how am i supposed to i don't want to talk to people about it <laughs> mm -hmm. you know i'm so Absolutely. And there's a lot of fear around money and talking about it because the fear is um, having something that somebody else doesn't have or that someone else wants to covet it or, 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 and what's really interesting is, is that even in the, in the United States on the money that we have, the paper currency, it says in God, we trust, but yet we have so much fear around that. So there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of implications, a lot of different viewpoints i guess to look at it but there's a huge fear around money even though that's the one thing people are wanting to obtain because they do truly believe it's going to make their life better they're going to be happier if i had money i would just then have freedom and then i'd be free to go do what i want to do and i don't have to have this job over here and it just keeps going but it's not about the money it's about your state of happiness and your state of happiness on the inside is going to be there regardless if there's money on the outside or not because you can always return back to that natural state of happiness. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do have a, a weird perception of it. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly part of it as well, where you do have that sense of like, well, if I just had, you know, all the money in the world, then I would be free to do anything I want. And I would, then I would be happy or I wouldn't have to work or, you know, all these kinds of things. And then... But if you actually like go into it a little bit and you're like, well, what would you do then? You know, something like that. And it's like, well, I would just chill out for a bit. And it's like, okay, how long are you going to do that for? You know, you, how long are you just going to chill outside and or travel or whatever? And it's like, I mean, maybe you'll do it for a few years or something like that. But is that going to be fulfilling ultimately? And, you know, I mean, one perspective to take is that obviously money like can enhance your living conditions right like there's no argument mm -hmm. about that and it's like without without money you know things are a lot more difficult it doesn't mean you can't be happy but it, there's lots of things that you'll you'll struggle with um certainly but you can also look at you know the sort of people in the world who have have made it in inverted commas where mm -hmm. they have you know millions or tens or hundreds of millions of dollars and they're suffering and, and they're up and, you know, or they're addicted to various things or, you know, many of them even, you know, unfortunately, you know, die by suicide eventually. Um, even in the so-called professions that everyone like dreams of as being the ideal, you know, the rock stars or the musicians or the actors or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, they have everything that they thought they needed to be happy and yet they're still miserable right um, yes it's really interesting that you bring that up because i think back to when i was young and i remember my mom asking me one time what i wanted to be when i grew up and i said well i'm gonna join greenpeace and save the whales because i had this heart-centered approach to life i always wanted to be a service i wanted things to be better feel better mm -hmm. But I know that wasn't the right answer because she like was very angry and gave me a death race stare. And 
I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can be a scientist or a doctor or something. Well, I became so passionate about helping other people have opportunities that I didn't have growing up because I lived near the poverty line where I grew up in California. And I decided to become a financial advisor as the how-to method to achieve that because I could help people plan and budget and put together a pathway and they can invest and then we can have money work for us instead of us working for money, all of those things that we got taught. And after 10 years with all of my things, my health, my relationship, and even my own financial situation, that all went upside down. So today I'm still passionate about helping people have those opportunities and to create them. My how-to method is incredibly different. So for all of the people that are out there moving forward, check and see if your how-to method is in alignment with how you are working, what you are most passionate about, because mine wasn't, and I had a huge correction. And this is the way that I was shown. So I know I'm on the right track because it's been working and it's been working for clients all around the world, not just in the area of money and finance, but also in the area of health and also in that area of relationships. And what was really interesting is, is that whenever a shift is taking place in one of those three areas, always, even if it didn't relate to money, more money and more abundance always flowed in. So again, it goes back to that direct correlation, doing what you love, doing what you're passionate about, and making sure your how-to method is in alignment with what you're doing. So what, what do you mean when you say your how-to method? Well, I was passionate about helping people create money, income, have opportunities for themselves and their children, because I didn't have those growing up. So the world said, be a financial advisor because that's the how-to method to having more. Mm. And so that's what I did. But that wasn't my how-to method because that was only that 10% conscious reality. Uh, go forward, move, do this, invest here, eliminate over here this debt. My how-to method is helping people align what's in the subconscious, releasing uh, things physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and then bringing in the positive and the things that were needed so that subconscious is in alignment with the consciousness to create more. And so my how-to method is different. I'm not putting together a financial plan for people and saying how to eliminate debt and where to invest. I'm saying, let's get ourselves in alignment with who we are first. And then when we take our action steps, we get 100% return. And that is what has been working for the last 11 years. Hmm. So me being passionate about helping people have opportunities, that is still there. How I'm doing it is not the traditional financial planning way. It's let's align what we got really taught and those emotions and feelings that got stuck to what those feelings really should be. And then that's how we really truly gain infinite prosperity. Hmm. That's amazing, yeah. And, you know, it's been quite a journey for you as well. Um, but it, it's been a lived journey. So through that comes the wisdom, right, that, that you teach is through your having gone through it yourself and being able to say, you know, not not theoretically like this is possible or whatever it is. You're like, no, this is, um, I, you know, I'm using my own life as an, as an example of how it, 
really happens and how it really works. And then now you're at the point where you're like, and I have all these people that have benefited from it as well, right? So it, it's a real strong like proof of concept if anyone was looking for it. <laughs> um, but, you know, and it also it's interesting because it's not traditional, so to speak. It's not, it's not what most, um, it's not how most people see things. Uh, I, I would right. say, but have, so have you run into like a lot of, do people like, um, you know, counter argue against you or try and claim otherwise? Does that come up ever? No, because I'm sending out the signal that brings the people to me that are in alignment with it. Right. Um, it's all backed by science and physics anyway, quantum physics, um, how the law of attraction works, how the law of magnetism works. Um, it, I can even explain it through th Newton's three laws of motion. Um, so everything that we that I know how to do, it's in the physics books and their physical laws and their spiritual laws. So science is backing everything that I have shared and that I have explained because it can be measured. Your energy field can be measured and your emotions can be measured. The science, the research, it's out there. And then when it changes, it can be remeasured and be shown differently. Yes, I, I did enjoy that about your book as well, was that you, you incorporate all different systems to be like, well, it's evident in multiple areas. And, you know, I think in science, usually it's like if you can confirm something from multiple yes. different approaches, that strengthens the so-called mm -hmm. proof of concept or whatever it is um and yeah no it's mm -hmm. not it's, i'm not uh, questioning your um yeah. your methods i was just wondering if people you know get angry about mm -hmm. it because it's different from what they know um mm -mm. but that's good i wouldn't want that to happen um usually people come because they want something that's different because what they did didn't work right and anger is one of the five basic human emotions that we have and it's saying something needs to change and what needs to change is we can't see the love in the moment so something needs to change and so they come because they were angry or they were frustrated with whatever methods they were using and it didn't work um, one of my um, clients who recently shared a testimonial with me said had called me from the hospital and they had a quadruple bypass surgery and they were getting ready to release him, but all at once he couldn't breathe and nobody knew why. So he started undergoing all additional testing and he finally took his friend's advice and called me on the phone. And in that moment, thankfully, I had an opening in my schedule and I just worked on him right there because it was an emergency situation. And then as soon as we were done, they took him away to do another round of testing. The test came back perfect and normal. He started breathing again. But what it was, was a triggering moment of when he was little, like 11, he had gotten hit by a ball, knocked over, and the wind got knocked out of him and he couldn't breathe. Hmm. And it was the exact same feeling and sensation. His subconscious was playing that loop tape over again. He just had a lot of surgery in the chest area and he couldn't breathe. So it was a psychological, um, physiological response system that happened. And when we changed that, he was released from the hospital the next day. Wow. So that's how this work really does work. Um, 
And doctors didn't know what was wrong. They didn't know anything to uncover. They were doing all these tests. And out of that anger, out of that frustration, out of desperation, out of last resort, I'm going to try this over here. And you know what? It works. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's a really interesting example of how powerful, you know, the mind is where it will, it can, without your conscious awareness, uh, stop your breathing, essentially, right? right? Really putting you at, at a life-threatening risk that, you, that no one appears to know why um but you know through talking to you and i guess with the methods that you use you you can start to see it and uncover it and you know like we were saying it you process it and then once that that's happened and i guess would you describe it as bringing the subconscious to the conscious like is that the process yes. yeah yes we start with your consciousness and how you feel in the moment we go back to the events, which is the subconscious, and then we bring that process up to the consciousness, and then that's where we make the change, and the whole subconscious reprograms. Mm. And two things with that particular client, he really did believe that he wasn't going to make it, that he was going to cross over and die. He really believed that. And he would never have made the association of when he was younger, when the wind got knocked out of him. But it wasn't until we started consciously asking the questions that his subconscious kicked in and recalled and remembered the event. Otherwise, that would not have ever surfaced if he was trying to look at and see, why can't I breathe? He's in it. He's in the mix of it. He wasn't going to be able to see it from that outside point of view, just like we were talking earlier. Yeah. And it wasn't until we asked the questions in a certain way that the subconscious automatically triggered and it was brought to the consciousness for it to change. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it would seem quite strange if, you know, you're in your whatever, 40s or 50s or something like that, and, you know, you're struggling to breathe and you're sort of, you know, on the precipice of dying and you're thinking about a time when you got winded when you were like 10 or 11. It would be like, that's a strange thing to be thinking about right now, but it exactly. just shows you how connected it all is. It's all good. Right? Absolutely. But so yes. what are some of the, if you don't mind my asking, what are some of the questions that you ask in those situations? Well, the first thing I want to know is what it is that you want to work on or what you want to change or what you want to have better. And when you describe all of that to me, I want to know how certain things feel. So I'm always asking feeling questions. How would it feel if you didn't have that? How does it feel you know, not to be included? Well, it's hurtful. Okay, well, where do you feel that hurt at in the body? Because I want to know what part of the body has been affected because there's always a physical component to it. Um, someone might say, I feel hurt in my heart area, in my chest. Well, when was the first time you remember feeling that energy there? And then I uncover the event. What happens when you were six or seven or eight? And you're going to tell me some story. It's not about really what happened. It's about how you felt in the story. And the events don't have to be 100% perfectly recalled. You can just be general about it. And then we uncover what's underneath the hurt and what's underneath the emotions there. And then we'll start uncovering what else was needed for you. What were the good things? Well, you didn't need to feel hurt. You needed to feel something different. What did you need? Well, I needed my father to listen to me. I needed to feel loved. I needed to feel understood. Whatever those words are. And then we really get tap into what those feelings are. And then that transition automatically happens and takes place. 
Right. What I do is I merge my energy field with the other person as if I am them working with them so I can feel everything that's also going on. And when I ask for the change, I'm a pure witness. I'm watching it. I'm feeling it. I'm experiencing it just like you. But I'm also sending the vibrational frequencies for the new and asking for the old to leave. And then it happens automatically within you because physics says there's no time or space and you can merge energy fields together. And so that's what I do energetically. So it's kind of a multi-step process. So it's not just about the questions, it's also the other energy forms. And then I use a meditation technique that, um, that puts me into an alpha or a theta alpha brainwave to witness and watch all of it. Um, if in science, they actually did this experiment. They took two cells from a liver and they put one cell in one location and another cell in a different location. And they traumatized one cell. And the other cell responded as if it also had been traumatized, hmm. although it was never touched. And so that's what we're doing is we're merging our spaces together. I'm doing all of that in that type of work, asking you specific questions. You have to consciously say yes to anything or no changes ever take place. So you always have free will and complete control of, yes, I want this and no, I don't want that. And then the things you say yes to are the pieces that come in and happen for you. And then as just like magic, as people have said, I didn't do anything different. It just happened. And that's the result. Right. Because that got all in alignment. Hmm. That's that's amazing. It's all right. And it's all connected. Mm -hmm. And I, I love, you know, learning about those kinds of things that happen because it's truly magical, at least as far as our, our sort of science and our science world is concerned. I mean, it's, it's, I suppose, increasingly not so, right? And there's a lot of cool scientists working on that kind of stuff to show that it's a lot more than we think it is. So it's not like it's a hopeless cause, but um, it, it is fascinating. And it's really, oftentimes it feels beyond the realm of, you know, conception that you just like don't understand. And that can right. be frustrating too, I guess, because, you know, our minds like to understand stuff um, before we, you know, like acknowledge it as real. We want to know why and how or whatever it is. Right. Um, but, you know, if it's evidence in your life and it's your experience, then that tends to supersede the need to understand why and how, particularly if it's a positive change, right? You're like, well, I mean, I don't really care or know how or why this happened, but it's good and I'm just going to be allowing of it to be that way, right? Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was you talk a lot about um, in, in your book and on, on your sites and stuff like that about heart-centered healing, right? Um, mm -hmm. Now, could you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. All healing takes place in the heart area. Um, the heart is also the heart, and this whole area is also associated with your soul, your soul essence, your divine essence. So when I talk about heart-centeredness or heart-centered healing, it's coming from that place. The vibrational frequency, if I was to go with, I'm going to sell flago frequencies, it resonates a pure, divine, unconditional love energy uh, that changes DNA and miracles is a frequency of 528. And that is the ultimate healing frequency. And if we can restore our hearts back to that frequency, then we're whole and that we are complete. 
When I talk about people being heart-centered, it's because that they are of service. They want to make the world a better place. They want other people to have what they have or that they have something to share or a message in that. And those are people that I love to work on, to work with from that place of heart-centeredness because you want to do good, you want to be of service, you want to help all of humanity, you have a very giving nature. And even for ourselves, and if that's where healing takes place, then that's where a lot of the alignment comes. I know I talked a lot about the brain and creating that chemical in the brain to make that flush through the body, but it's really in the heart where it takes place and where it anchors that energy in. And when the heart comes in in alignment with what we're thinking, this is our conscious awareness, um, I want more money, I want more, etc., and you feel it from this place here, then you have heart-mind coherence, and then when you speak, it comes out through your throat, which is the bridge here, bringing it into existence hmm. 100% of the time. And what happens is, is the heart is not always in alignment with the brain. We feel something and we think something different or the other way around. So when we speak, we get what is being felt, which might be the lower energy versus the higher energy. Hmm. And yeah, and then we're unhappy about what we said or what we did or something like that, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really cool because I think that, you know, there is a certainly an intuitive sense that, you know, you feel stuff here. Um, yes. but it doesn't always make sense to say it that way. Um, at least in, in the sort of general culture of, of, uh, at least mm -hmm. Western society of like, you know, like, oh no, it's, they talk about just like chemical reactions and whatever it is, but there's a growing literature at least on the importance of like, you know, full body, um, embodiment, right? So to speak. And, um, yeah, I mean, it is weird because it's like, you know, when you feel like deep emotions, at least for me, like you do feel it in your chest or in your stomach or in something like that. And, um, you know, you don't really know why, but it's often very unpleasant, right? And so mm -hmm. a lot of the time uh, you try and just do something to get rid of it um, and avoid it or, you know, change or try and, you know, forcefully think yourself out of it. Um, which I guess is just like suppressing it. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. not really going to go so well if you keep doing that, right? It likes to pop up again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And what's interesting about the heart is, is that, yes, there's love and there's happiness and there's joy, but we put on other castings. Um, I call it wrapping paper, really. We cover that all up with anxiety or depression, or it could be anger or hurt or sadness because we fear hurting somebody else or that if we send out love, love may not come back to us in the way that we want or we were hurt before or we were betrayed before. So we put like walls around it. But if as we take off those layers, you're restored back to the happiness, the love and the joy and those other energies, those other things from other people dissipate before they get to you because it's an unmatched frequency. You're here in happiness and joy, and they might be down here. So this frequency doesn't align and match. It only matches if you lower yourself to resonate to where they are. So what I'm doing with people as we do the work is increasing vibration and frequency within them. And so the other paradigms of what used to happen doesn't happen anymore because you don't match that energy vibrationally anymore. You've rose above it. 
until that other energy dissipates. And then the heart comes uncovered and you can really see how people are truly shining for who they are and what their gifts are and who they're meant to be. And it's some of the most beautiful transformations I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely evident, you know, to see that like what at least many people want is to be able to just be themselves, right? And then it Absolutely. and then there's a good question of like, you know, well, what, who is that, or what is that to you? Um, and you know, I mean, I, I haven't always been sure of that either. Um, and I think it kind of changes a lot of the time. But it is, it's like, mm -hmm. well, you know, people say, well, like, well, what do you want, or what's the real you? And you know, sometimes I'm like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. have an answer to that question, unfortunately. Um, but I guess I do if I just take some time to look at it, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to go through the process of, you know, removing those layers to see what's underneath. But it's mm -hmm. it's difficult when you got to go through those. Because, you know, like, again, it's like you've got to go through the shitty stuff to get to the good stuff. But um, mm -hmm. you've got to go through that bad stuff first and it's you know not nice a lot of the time and unpleasant and uncomfortable and so you know we avoid it um but you know at our own detriment to do so um yes and there's a lot of resistance right like i'm sure that comes up a lot does it mm -hmm. yes a lot of people do have resistance so i got to figure out why they're resistant even though they're asking but energetically yes that that's probably one of the major energies that will stop the work from happening is, is the resistance to receiving because there's usually an underlying fear, but once that's cleared up, the resistance is gone and the changes happen. Hmm. And it's, I mean, I guess it would be like a defense, right? Like resistance exactly. would really just be like you're protecting yourself. Um, yeah. So it, because there's an unknown. Yeah. You don't know what it's going to be like, but it hasn't been created yet. So if we're creating it now, then it's actually known because we just created it. So yeah, we can go in circles. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Um, it is, it, it's a, it's really good work and it, it's interesting. And, you know, as a, as you say, like it, it's, it changes, you know, people's worlds because your world is created by your, your thoughts and your emotions and how you feel it. And so if you're willing to take that step, into the unknown and try it and start to see things differently and feel good feelings and connect with yourself at a deeper level, then, you know, the world is uh, just infinite potential of joy and happiness, despite all the challenges and things like that. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, I commend you on your efforts and I admire, you know, the work you do and Listen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, w is there anything you would like to plug, uh, promote of your stuff? I'll put it all in the description as well. But, you know, where can people find you? Mm -hmm. um, yes, actually. And I found a real simple and easy way for all of this. And all you have to do is text the word manifesting to 26786 if you're in the US, and that will give you a direct access and links to me. So it's the word manifesting to 26786. And if you're outside the United States, the easiest way is just to go to the website at DonnaCampbell.com. Cool. Well, thank you very much. 26786. I will write that down. Um, 
yeah, do it. Go check her out and, you know, book some services. You, you'll be grateful. Um, cool. Thank you. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.